This is Henry Lopez, co-host of the How a Business podcast. Do you want to be your own boss and start your own business? Do you aspire to be an entrepreneur and enjoy the freedom of time and location? So what's holding you back from getting started? How do you know if you're actually ready to be your own boss? I would like to invite you to join me for an online program that will help you clearly understand if you are in fact ready. And if you're not quite ready, what do you need to do to get there? To find out more about my online program, please visit thehowofbusiness.com for more information. Welcome to The How of Business with Henry Lopez and David Begin, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is Daryl Urbanski. Daryl, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Henry. It's an honor and a pleasure to be here today. Thank you. We're glad to have you. Uh, Daryl is an entrepreneur. He's also a martial artist, a speaker, a marketing expert, a business coach, a podcaster himself, and an author. He's the founder and president of bestbusinesscoach.ca. He's best known for his ability to create seven-figure automated income streams from scratch. And we'll touch on that. Uh, Daryl has quickly climbed the entrepreneurial ladder, gaining respect from thousands of small business owners worldwide. Uh, he's the host, as I mentioned, of his own podcast, The Best the Best Business Podcast Show. You can find that on iTunes. That's where I listen to it. Uh, Daryl's latest book is Ancient Secrets of Lead Generation, Your Primitive Business Guide to Better Leads with Less Effort. And it earned him the title of Amazon's top-ranked best-selling business author as of 2014. And so we're going to definitely touch on a lot of the topics he covers in that book as we dive into the topic of lead generation. Uh, in addition to Ancient Secrets, he's also the author of the successful books, Primitive Business Tools for Success, Checklists, Cheat Sheets, and How to Use Them, as well as Business Success Secrets, Principles, Formulas, and Ethos, your primitive business guide to giving your business the greatest chance of success. You like long book titles, don't you, Daryl? <laughs> well, I figure they just got to know what it is, what it's about. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Definitely know what it's about. Uh, Daryl was born and raised in Canada, and uh, he kind of kind of resides multiple places, but mostly in the Toronto area today, and also in the Philippines. Correct. And so, in this episode, uh, Daryl's going to share with us his interesting entrepreneurial journey, how he got to where he is today. And we're going to deep dive a bit on lead generation strategies and tactics for small business owners. So once again, Daryl Urbanski, welcome to the show. Thank you, Henry. It's an honor and pleasure. And for anyone listening, it's an honor and pleasure to have you just share some mind space with me. It's, it's a wonderful thing that we have the technology that we can all sit around by the campfire today and talk. And so I really hope that this call serves you because that's at the end of the day, your success is my success. So uh, thank you for listening and keep a pen and paper handy. Appreciate that. And thanks for being here to share your knowledge and your experience and your journey. Um, and so let's start with that. You, you've had an interesting journey. Um, I, I, did you go to university or did not have the opportunity? Tell us about that. <laughs> so I got my PhD, my public high school diploma, and that's about <laughs> as far as I went. I hear you. Um, now, it's not because I didn't want to. I did a program called Katimovic when I was 17. Katimovic stands for meeting place. It's an Inuit word. And it was a program for youth that put together 
it was actually Pierre Trudeau. We've got Trudeau as pre- as prime minister now. His dad started this program. It was a, it's a fantastic program. I'm I am such an advocate for this program, and they've shut it down. I'm hoping I'm hoping his son brings it back because it's a shame. And they would make a group of kids, 11 kids, and it was supposed to represent Canada. So it would be half boys, half girls. You'd have uh, three people from Quebec or three French speakers. You'd have three people from Ontario because demographically or, or just geographically, that's where the population is. And then, you know, they would have a couple people from the West Coast, East Coast, and you'd have, an, uh, you know, like a native or an Inuit person living with you. And they try to get like a person from one of the territories so it was like a supposed to be a microcosm of Canada and a home and uh, you traveled when I did it it was nine months and you spent three months in uh, western province and eastern province in Quebec and I lucked out I got BC Alberta Quebec so I got two western provinces and um, anyways you live with these 10 other kids and you've got a volunteer full-time job and then evenings and weekends all of you are instantly signed up for whatever's going on in the community that's your instant like whatever, whatever it is, show up. And you don't even like contact the host of the event either. Like we would just sometimes roll into somewhere and we would just be like, how can we make this place better? Like, you know what I mean? Like just jump in and just help people. And we would just maybe come and be participants and then just keep an open watch for whatever needed. So it was an amazing program that way. Work experience wise, uh, it was a phenomenal experience. In a lot of ways, my life is kind of before and after that program just because I learned so much, you know, like after that, I, I, I wanted to go back to school. I went back out to BC. So I did this program, came back, was in BC, Alberta, Quebec. I worked at an Indian band office in BC, which is kind of like the, the government for the reserve. Um, I helped with their, their monthly newsletter. I helped build sweat lodges. Um, what else did I do? I did a bunch of other stuff around the office. Jesus, so year long ago now. I was 17. That's, <laughs> I guess it was half my age. That's exactly half my age right now. So uh, and then in Alberta, I was a teacher's assistant, grade seven class. I worked with a social worker and I worked with a librarian for a middle school. And that was an eye-opening experience, especially the social work, because I thought that's what I wanted to be. And then after having coming home, having had to come home with like the, the weight of some of the things that I heard, like I was involved in that other students were going through, involved in just as a, you know, as a social worker's assistant, right? But just the things I was, I was exposed to, maybe that's a better way to say it, was really hard for me to just leave at the school. You know, I was bringing my work home with me. It was very upsetting what was going on. So that was really eye-opening. And then the third place in Quebec, I was in the small town of 150 people, Saint-Raphaël-Belchasse, small town. Mm-hmm. And uh, I worked in a town that was even smaller over La Durante, and I was a mayor's assistant. And uh, that was really interesting. I got to work in the city office and see all the files that they had on every property. That they've got, like, if you live in a city and own a property, they have a file on you. I was really surprised by that. I'm like, you've, this is, in my head, it was, you know, Facebook wasn't around, but I was like, this is somewhat, I felt like it was invasion of privacy almost. I'm like, this is kind of interesting. Um, that's how I felt, but I didn't say that because obviously that was just the way it was. So that's how I started when I came back from that. I wanted to go back out west. It was my favorite place of all the places I've been. So I got $1,000 that my mom's first husband had left me when he passed because we used the other money to buy the house that I'm actually in right now. And I basically packed my bags and I hitchhiked across Canada to go back to BC. I ended up hitchhiking across Canada six times and just to visit family because I ended up living out west for four years. So I would hitchhike home and go back, you know, for the holidays. I'd take a week, two, three weeks sometimes, and I would so, just... So what, what age were you here now when you're doing this? Uh, this is, this is like 17, 18. Like, okay. I came back from Katinovic, and I went back to school, and I was the year in Ontario, we, we had a year of a double cohort. So we used to have 13 grades in, uh, like, of school before university. And the last, we had grade 12 in high school, and then there was OAC, 
which was like university level classes, and they got rid of that. And the year they got rid of that, my group was the last group to have it. So even though I took a year off school to do this Katimovic thing, when I came back, I still graduated with all my friends. So I was like, meh, you guys sat in class for a year. I traveled Canada. Right. Uh, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, nah, 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 nah. So I uh, came back, and I did my first semester, and I just had itchy feet. I just I was a totally different person. I'd seen the world. Uh, you live with a different family. So every province we lived in, we stayed with a local family for two weeks, like individually. So they'd split up the group. And so I got to like, it was amazing. Like as a, like just in contrast, like we see the world through these different lenses, right? Filters that based on our experiences and our, our beliefs and our, our predispositions. And so I came from like a family background, you know, and that's how I saw the world and that's how a family is. And then I would like live on a farm. I lived on a farm with a family in BC and I saw how they lived. And then I lived with a guy that sold insurance and his wife who was a school teacher and their two gothic kids that were like exact mirror opposites of the parents. The parents were so uptight and religious and like like just the the the, the strictest stereotype you can think of. And the kids had like like spikes through their ears and their their lips and like I think the son had had put a spike through his neck at one point, like a oh like a like a like a like a chopstick, like one of them, but it was pointing both ends, like through, like they, but it was total opposites. It was like they were equal, you know, like every action is an equal and opposite reaction. So it was interesting to see that. And then in Quebec, it was just a smaller family. Mom was like one of eight kids, and I got to kind of see what it was like to be part of a big, big, big family, which I'm actually wanting to have now. I want to have a ton of kids. Um, anyways, so I did that, and that was. I, I haven't been to university, but I feel like that's – I learned more in that nine months than most people learn in the four years plus that they go to school. So, so I came back. So I'm going to interrupt. So what was it do you think – I mean I can kind of start to gather. What was it at that point you thought university is just not a fit for me, at least not right then and there? It just – it seemed like you wanted a completely different experience than what you felt university would offer you. Well, it's funny because that's the key word is experience. And so I came back and I did my first semester, my last, my first semester, my last year of high school in Kingston, Ontario, Canada, and I was just bored. And so I hitchhiked out West and I finished in British Columbia. And then I was living there and I was just working and school wasn't even really on the map. And I had like visions of doing a business and this sort of stuff. And because we don't have a limited amount of time, I eventually around four years, my plans are kind of uh, crumbled before me. Actually, the bank approved a loan for a quarter of a million dollars, and I basically chickened out. I was like 18, 19, or no, I was like 20, 21, and I, I'd never had a car. Like, I just had a car. I hadn't even lived in the same place for a year. I had a girlfriend for over a year, and I'm like, I'm about to marry a quarter of a million dollars for this business thing. And after that, I was just kind of floating around. I think well, it was. What was the business idea? I got jobs before I even got to BC, and one of them was night manager of a youth hostel, Hostling International. It's kind of like a backpacker hotel. Instead sure. of you can get a room if you want, or you can just share a dorm. They have guys' dorm, girl dorms, you have a locker you know, you're good to go. And so I was night manager. We had 47 beds and I wanted to open up another one in a Soyuz. It was the, it's the second busiest border crossing is a Soyuz BC. It's a small town. They have a Spanish villa theme. There's bylaws to enforce that what you build has to be to that theme. And they've, it's a, it's a desert. It's part of Canada's only desert. Um, and so I wanted to put 
uh, a hostel there and I wanted to retrofit a building with uh, renewable energy technology. I wanted to have a wind turbine and solar panels and I wanted to use passive solar heating and I even wanted to use uh, – like I wanted to grow grass indoors instead of having carpeting like the greens you see at the golf course. That was an idea I had. You know, I had all this stuff and I don't know if the grass inside would have worked, you know, but I would have <laughs> tried it in, in one sure. room first. But that was the idea. I was like, hey, you have a, roo- a house with a bunch of beds. You join this franchise. You now get put on their map. They obviously have a ton of travelers. You know what I mean? You get in the local marketing. You you just run this house. You get customers. You know, you have good months, bad months. And I wanted to be – and ideally, the goal was like it was almost a retirement plan. At some point, I would kick everyone out, and it would just be my retirement home that you know is off the grid essentially. Um, and that was the goal. But And I, I got a letter from the uh, economic development officer of a Soyuz saying he thinks it's a great idea and there's definitely an opportunity for that sort of building, that sort of business there. And I took that to the bank and I got some – two of my buddies, their parents invested some money with me. I raised about thirty-five, forty thousand dollars uh, or at least got per- permissionary notes. Or, yeah, per- per- is that what it is? When someone promises to give it to you? Promissory notes, yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Some kind of so level of commitment notes. to give you this money. Right, enough that the bank backed them up and was mm-hmm. like, okay, here you go, and offered me a quarter of a million, which would have been to buy the house and retrofit it. And I base, I was 19, now I remember clearly. I, I just crapped my pants. I was like, uh, it's a lot of money. I was like, uh, I'm going to think about it. When and you then, look yeah. at it back at now, would you have made the same decision to, to pass on it because you weren't ready, or was it well, just a lack of confidence, or do you think you would have lacked knowledge that was necessary and yet to come? So that's a fantastic question. Um, it might get to the root of some core beliefs that I have, but I think any answer would have been the right answer. But at the time, I made the best decision I could with the with the resources I had. Uh, was I limiting myself by not, you know, taking it on? I, you know, potentially. Like what I mean is, I took a detoured route to business uh, in that sense. If I had just jumped in, then would I have accomplished more sooner, faster? Uh, or even more overall, like it's so hard to say. I very, I don't think I have any regrets. I may, like very few. If anything, it's like having let someone down, you know. But I, for like right, like I've answered this question a bunch of times. I really don't feel like I have any regrets. I feel like I've lived my life the best that I could at the time, and I move forward. So, but if I had gone through with it, I think I would have made it successful. I really do. I think I would have stuck with it and had the grit and just pushed through. And it's, I don't think it's a complicated model at all. I think it's a very simple model, and especially now knowing what I know. You know, it's almost like if you you panicked because you were in a forest and you're like, ah, oh, I'm lost, and you're crying, little kid, you don't know, you know, it's getting dark, and you don't know how you're going to get home, and then like the next day or next week, you're flying over an airplane, you're like, oh, re- really? Like you can see it from above, and you're like, oh, that's the map? Like, oh, I, you know what I mean? I just had to pick a direction and walk, and eventually... You know what I mean? The forest is surrounded by roads. I know yeah. how to get home from all those roads. Kind of like that. Like yeah. that was my situation at the time. But now knowing what I know, I'm like, I would have found my way out. No, no, that's fair. It's fair. And it's a great analogy. All right. Let's so, let's move forward a bit. And in, sure. in these intervening years after those experiences and before you did the thing in Japan, so did you have just odd jobs? Tell us a little bit about that period of time until you get to the point of having the martial arts uh, studio and all that kind of stuff. Sure. So after I kind of walked away from that, I just kind of putted around in, in Penticton, B.C. That's where I was living, Penticton, B.C. And I had a buddy, Gabe. His his father passed away years earlier, and his mom had had a car accident. She was a little crazy. We weren't sure if she was bipolar or what. And he was having a hard time. Like He basically had to drop out of high school to try and work and make some money and feed his younger sister and take care of his mom. And I ended up moving in with them because the house was set up to be like four or five bedrooms. Or what was it? Four bedrooms on one side and four bedrooms on the other. It's a big house. But the rentals weren't done on the other side, and so you couldn't rent it to 
anybody. So I moved in. I took one of the spare beds on the finished side, and Gabe and I finished everything on the other side of the house. And I was working working restoration work. So uh, at the time, I was working night. I was working nights at, uh, or sorry, nights shift at the hostel. Uh, I was evenings and weekends. I was working with the the party police. I was security for nightclubs. There's like five bars or nightclubs in the town, and there was one company that did security at them. And I wanted to find a way to make money but still be able to be with my friends. And so it worked out great because if I knew where my friends were going to party, I would just ask Wes, my boss, if I could work that bar. And I would still have to work, <laughs> but you know, I could go and have 20 minutes with my friends. Sure. You know what I mean? Here, sure, walk around yeah. and like I'm getting paid, and you know, hey. and then you know, I'm like VIP, like because I know every. It was it was good. And then uh, I worked at it was like cost. It was called the Great Canadian Wholesale. I stocked shelves. And what else did I do? I had a bunch of jobs. I so worked did in the some of that security stuff lead to your interest in martial arts, I'm wondering? No, actually, it was when I did Katimovic. So, oh, like I said, okay. we, would have, we would volunteer in different places. And the other thing we would do is, I forget they were, but there were like eight committees that we formed on the team, or four or five. They were like work skills, uh, social culture, and uh, society and culture environment like there's these different categories and so it was like we had to do an activity for each case like you know one or two people were assigned to the 11 to be on that committee and they have to plan activities for the group like we went to a powwow because i was part of the culture committee we went to go to a powwow we did some workshop stuff on how to build a resume and that and one of the things there was like a fitness one i think we did a boxing class and i really liked it and as a kid i'd shied away from athletics uh, one, because I started smoking because I thought it was cool. Uh, <laughs> I smoked for five years, seven, eight, nine, ten, I guess. Wow. I quit I quit one right before I did Katimovic, and that helped me quit, and I stayed quit. Um, but I, I, I shied away because I was a tall guy, and I didn't like the stereotype of like the tall, dumb guy, and I really wanted to be an academic, like just uh, admired for my brain, not my brawn. But when I did the boxing, I just really enjoyed the per- like the physical challenge of it and like pushing myself. That almost that uh, we just did one workout, and I was like, it was I just loved it. And so I got into boxing and phys- and that athleticism. Um, so no, the, the it just was a it really just yeah you know yeah it just kind of fit the bill. So is the is the martial arts business was that the first business that you launched? That I mean, I think you still have that business, right? Well, no, no, I dissolved that okay. business because right. it wasn't a business that you could sell in terms of it's not like a fitness gym where there are personal trainers everywhere or you're a dentist. Like there's no university pumping out Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belts. And right. in the 10 to 12 years, it ta- I'm not a black belt, but in the 10 to 12 years it takes to get your black belt or a belt high enough that you feel you could run a school – you, you know what I mean? Like you could kind of start your own. You might not have the business systems in place and you'll struggle, but they don't get that. They think the business is knowing the art. Do you know what I mean? And a lot of people feel that way. They think the business is knowing how to do it. And you need to have great quality in what you do for sure. Otherwise, I mean, even if there's not an ethical bone in your body, it just makes solid business sense to just be, to deliver the best product you can, you know, to constantly try to improve. Like it just makes sense. Otherwise you're just going to shoot yourself in the foot, you know, and you're just, you know what I mean? Your business is going to go off a cliff. So So, so what was the martial arts business? Was it a studio? Was it a program? I'm not clear as to what the business was. Sure. Yeah. Well, we had our own facility. We had okay. our own facility, and then we later moved in and shared space with another martial arts school. Okay. And we ran kids class, adults class. I did uh, military and fire rescue, and we even have uh, like there's a Royal Military College. So we also had a lot of military students that would come, and I would train them. Um, and like I said, I did women's self defense at the university. Uh, yeah, we had kids classes. I did some parkour stuff as well. I really liked parkour, and I, I wanted to get better, so I started some classes, like kids classes in parkour, because I wasn't very good at it, you know. But it was like a kids class thing. 
but it was mostly like the main demographic was uh, 18 to 24 year old males that wanted to be in the UFC. That was really the sweet spot. I came up with a promotion, uh, free fighter fitness and skill assessment plus a 30 day free trial. And that worked like gang, like it was like crack. Like we would send people around campus with clipboards and shirts and just be, and we would just say, do you like MMA? right? Mixed martial arts. Yes or no. If they said no, we leave them alone. Okay. Have a nice day. Yes. Oh, really? Would you be interested in a free fighter fitness and skill assessment with a potential 30 day free trial? Yeah. Oh, great. Can I get your name, phone number, email? Perfect. Boom. Walking around, we get 50 leads in like an hour. Like it so, was just so is this the, is this the beginnings of you thinking, wow, I, I first, a, I've got a knack for this and B, I can teach others perhaps maybe that came later on this whole lead generation thing. Mm, well, so, I mean, I tried other different businesses before that. I, so I came back and I was accepted into Queens to take their commerce program. Didn't know I was going to pay for it. Met a girl on my way home from a martial arts class, actually, and she wanted to go back to Japan. She'd gone there the summer of her third and fourth year in university, wanted to go back. We fell in love. I was like, sure, I'm going to go with you. And I decided to go with her instead of going to university and taking out a student loan. And... Um, so I was freelance there, and I did a bunch of different things. I ended up working with uh, Johnson Johnson and and Shinsei Bank and Tokyo Electron, getting getting different gigs with them in different capacities. Team building, language training, because English teaching is a big thing in in there. And that was like my foot in the door was teaching English, and then expanded into a bunch of other things, which was phenomenal uh, for me and my personal development. And so I did a bunch of different business models, and I came back, and I had some I had a couple of failed businesses. Uh, or I had a failed business and it didn't really fail. I just, I kind of just gave up. That's why it failed. And then I got into the martial arts school and once I really got it up and running, I was doing like six figures a year and I had four instructors and a head instructor and I had two sales reps and I had uh, paid ads that I was pretty clear on what it was costing me for a lead and how many leads we needed to get, you know, get a paying customer and what each customer was worth. I had it all dialed in. I was kind of getting bored. Uh, to be really honest. And it was more, I guess I have the entrepreneurial ADD, like yeah. the day to day doesn't, like I love the day-to-day in my life, the day-to-day routine in my life, but for work, not so much. Um, some people love that. And uh, so I put together – I wanted to go back to Japan. And so I did a launch, a promotional launch to do a, like a 30-day tour of Japan. And even though I did Brazilian jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu is originally from Japan. So it's like going to the motherland but learning the more modern you know, version of ours. And it was Hicks and Gracie. He was a living legend in the art. It was his school in Tokyo that I was going to take people to. And we were going to do those whole – I mean it was 30 days. I was going to do all my favorite things from the three years I spent in Japan, in Tokyo, traveling around and, and – and uh, I mean, we're skipping lots of big details, but I don't. I'm taking up like half the interview with just my, like we haven't even got to where we are yet. No, no, no. So, we'll, so we'll get there. We'll get there. But it's, so is that the travel train Japan business? That's right. Travel train travel train Japan dot com, which I think is still up and running. If not, I'll probably go and update that domain just because I loved it. It was a great thing. I just did a launch. I had a great promo video done. I got featured in some industry magazines. I trained with a lot of heroes in the in the in the niche, and I got them to endorse and basically just promote on their social media walls like what I was doing. And I generated about two hundred and twenty five two hundred and fifty leads for a thirty day trip to Japan. And I got on the phone with a bunch of them. And I sold five people into the program, and one guy backed out right before we left and uh, we went to Japan and it was 10 grand for the month and I basically cost me half to per person and that was their flight that was like everything you know and um, anyways so we went to Japan and uh, made some money and did all my favorite stuff and came back and right before I left a buddy of mine who was running a satellite office for basically a, a version of Yellow Pages out of Ottawa and it was a big company they did like 1.4 1.6 million dollars uh, a year as a company Charging businesses a thousand dollars a year to be in their directory, essentially, um, and he got promoted to CEO of that company. 
the owners, there's two owners, they kind of were going to give him a shot. And he called me right before I left because him and I used to, he had a big whiteboard space in his office. His office was above my martial arts school and we would just kind of hang out, have a couple drinks, you know, because I come back from all these coaching programs and stuff because at the time I was investing heavily in my own education and in mentors and and traveling to go to conferences and meet other people and just, you know, because I knew I, I kind of, from Katinovic especially, and just uh, from training martial arts, I knew what it was going to take for me to learn the craft of business, to master it, to really master it. And I'm not saying that I've mastered it now, but I just feel like I've, I've definitely got a much better grip on things. So is that, so, what, is that what leads to then starting Best Business Coach? Is, tell, tell me about why you launched that business or the current sure. business. This is your, this is your primarily current business is the best business coach, correct? Correct. Yeah. So that's great. Actually, perfect timing. So right before I left, Corey called me and said he got promoted to CEO. And I was like, Corey, that's great. And he's like, no, you don't understand. I've never been CEO before. I need you. I'm going to put you on retainer. I'm going to pay you 2500 a month. Okay. And I need you to be there for a few conference calls. And I was like, wait, wait, wait a minute. You're going to pay me 2500 a month to be on a few, like for a few meetings a week. And he was like, yeah. And so when I went to Japan, I was like, hmm. Cause I was thinking like, what am I going to do when I go back? Right. Cause I have a martial arts school, but there was a cap. One thing that I'd realized and I hadn't, it, it definitely hadn't reached its full potential. If anybody, any of the other martial arts schools in the, in the city talked, they could grow up more, blah, blah, blah. But it, I felt it was reaching, it was getting like, you can only grow a gym so big. Right. right? So right. I realized that there was a cap and I'm like, what do I do? I realized I'm in the wrong industry. And I, one of the things I, right before I left, I was getting some tests. It was a good time. I was getting testimonials from students about having lost weight and, you know, the discipline, improving their lives in various ways. And one guy gave up alcohol, you know, it was, it was a good feel good. And I really loved those testimonials. And I realized that every business needs a few hundred to a few thousand customers to be successful. And I realized if I instead focused on business owners who were the customers of Corey's business, that I could have an exponential impact on the world. Yes, I could get paid more, but I could also have a, a larger impact. I can, I can affect people who are leverage points because through them, I will affect hundreds and thousands of other people. And I, that really appealed to me, having a bigger impact on the world. And so when I came back... I took the gig with Corey and I started writing some business books, the three that you mentioned. One of them was from a workshop that I did and I got a negative review on that book because I realized after if you're not doing the workshop, I put it up on Amazon for people to buy to have for the workshop. If you're not doing the workshop, the book doesn't make any sense. So, mm -hmm. But the other two are great. The Business Success Secrets and the primitive, uh, ancient, uh, was it? Uh, ancient Secrets of Lead Generation. Those two I'm very proud of. Call them business books for busy people because they were short. They were to the point. It was all about content because I spent probably $70,000 on seminars and workshops and conferences and coaching programs and books and courses and all that. And I felt like half the stuff I got, you know, it's like a book. You're like, that book could have been one chapter. So I wrote these books trying to make them that one chapter, you know, and no more, no less. Um, anyway, so that led me to kind of to, to, well, so that led me to, and all the things I was doing and groups I was in, as a side shoot, I got connected with John Asaraf from the movie The Secret, who basically made me an offer for about $100,000 a year in salary plus 2.5% of everything I could help his company make. And the martial arts business, it's seasonal. So, so I'm in a student. I told you the age group, they're university students. They're gone for the summer. They come back in the fall. So I basically just didn't reopen in the fall, and I refunded people that were already on contract. I just paid them back what was left, and I went to go work for John because of what I thought it would make of me to work with him. Because his track record of having helped build five companies to, you know, uh, and it's funny when you see everything behind the scenes, but he's a good guy. His testimonials are real. I have a lot of respect for him. And yeah, he's helped. He was a part of teams that grew five multi-million dollar companies, you know, and just he'd been in the movie The Secret and he's a guru and, he, you know, being on 
uh, Larry King Live, you know, like I was like, this is a chance for me to go and learn and, and expand because I'm just not learning in this small town running this martial arts school. Right. So I went and right before this all kind of happened together because I wrote, I wrote those books after Corey and I put them up on Amazon and I started to practice what I preach and market them and Ancient Secrets was the one that started taking off. So I put all my muscle behind that and I hit number one and I was like, that was amazing. I remember when I saw it at night. And then uh, I put together, I used that to get on local television, radio, and in the newspaper. And I put together a uh, coaching group of about five business owners. And at the same time, I got connected with John, who, long story short, hired me for a short project that I, I under-promised and over-delivered on. So then I end up doing some sort of aptitude tests that he had me and I don't know how many other candidates, but they were looking for people do. And then he flew me down to San Diego uh, Labor Day weekend. Nobody else is in the office, and we had a deal and a handshake. 100 grand a year plus 2.5% of everything I help him make, plus a uh, moving bonus. He was going very, very, I think it was like 25 grand to move to the States. So I came back, packed everything up, I went, I started sending emails out. Uh, to my team and my instructors, I gave instructions like, if you want to keep the group going, here's some free rec areas. You guys could keep, you know, your nights going, because that's kind of how it had started before I even launched it was a, as a rec thing. So I go down, I work for him, and after being there for a few months, find out that the company's on the verge of bankruptcy. No oh boy. <laughs> yeah, and I just moved. And I'm like, I just left this. I had a good business, like I, you know, like I had a community. I what, what's going on? So um, he said we need to do a quarter of a million dollars. And, you know, in, uh, what was it, November? In, no, in October. In October, or we're going to have to start letting people go. And it's like right for Christmas and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, my gosh. So I'd never done a quarter of a million dollars in a year yet, let alone a month. So I asked John, what's the most expensive thing you've ever sold? And he said, consulting with him for $25,000. He sold a day of consulting in Australia for twenty five grand. i am like, boom, we're going to sell some more of those. What else? He talked about a previous company he'd built that did not was not successful it had gone bankrupt um one coach it was called and they had an event called cloning of success and i said all right we're gonna do one called cloning of business success done and we had a third offer and so we basically tried to upsell people $25,000 consulting with john and it turned out to 10 hours of consulting with john and then we downsold them into the event or we bonused the event into them $7,500 for this three-day event at john's house uh, which was on the top of Rancho Santa Fe, which is one of the highest, it's beautiful, beautiful state, one of the m most highest net worth areas of the U.S. is Rancho Santa Fe, um, by zip code in that. He was at the top of that hill. And um, anyway, so we did like $220,000 that month because he had a massive following. You know, we had about 30000 right, so, so, so let me interrupt because that, that'll, that'll start to give us a little bit more details on the whole, how did you do that? And And a lot of that is about having tapped into some kind of lead generate generation mechanism. So did he, and I think you were getting into it before I interrupt, did, did he have a mailing list or a list of people that you tapped? Was that part of the initial campaign? So one of the things that was really eye-opening for me, and I think this is important for everyone listening, because I know there's people that they feel like maybe you've got financial issues in your life and you're like, oh, if I just won the lottery, it would solve everything. Mm -hmm. I'm here to tell you, no, it won't. It <laughs> won't. You have to fix things as they are it important what matters most is when the numbers are small so why that's important is when I came to John's business what I remember I told you that I was kind of bored because there was a cap like I was in a market and I, you know like there's right. just only so many people and who, how many people are interested in martial arts and so what I read and then you got to educate people and that's forget that well with John's it was online it was digital yep. anybody with a computer 
anywhere in the world was a potential customer. Everything was the same, but there were more zeros attached to everything, to the price points of what we were selling, to the number of people and the size of audience we had. Like everything just had another zero, but the principles that I used for my martial arts school were the exact same. So I started using those and trying to help grow his business. And so... Uh, yeah, I mean, it really. He he did have a following. We took him from thirty thousand to three hundred thousand. Not me. Well, I was the marketing director, department director. There was no one above me, so I might as well have been CMO. But I was marketing director, and I had me. There was me and my assistant Kent, and Kent was a social media guy. And together we grew John's social media from three thirty thousand to three hundred thousand. His email list from I think we were around seventy thousand. Uh, it was just under two hundred thousand emails before I left. This is Henry Lopez, co-host of the How of Business podcast. Do you want to be your own boss and start your own business? Do you aspire to be an entrepreneur and enjoy the freedom of time and location? So what's holding you back from getting started? How do you know if you're actually ready to be your own boss? I would like to invite you to join me for an online program that will help you clearly understand if you are in fact ready. And if you're not quite ready what you need to do to get there. Perhaps you need help understanding and overcoming your fears. Maybe you're not entirely sure about what it really takes to be ready, willing, and able to become your own boss. My online program is about helping you take the first critical steps towards realizing your dreams of entrepreneurship. I will take you step-by-step through a process that will help you determine if you are in fact ready to be your own boss and specifically identify what you need to do next. To find out more about my online program, please visit thehowofbusiness.com for more information. I want to go back to, you touched on it. Tell me a couple of these principles that you alluded to that you brought from your martial arts business that still applied even here in this context. Give me a couple of those examples. Sure. Well, first, it's about building relationships with people. It's not about selling them on the first attempt. That's a big one. And that's a huge right, part so of let me building. touch on that. So and, and that means you're not talking about necessarily face to face relationships, but using that approach and methodology to how you communicate something. Is that what you're talking about? Right. All things being equal, people want to do business with their friends. All things not so equal, people still prefer to do business with their friends. People don't know how much don't people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So building relationships with people is really important. It's really important. And it's again, because people don't want to be taken advantage of. And so you're less that's less likely to happen with your friends in personal network. But how do you so, do that? How do you communicate that? And I'm sorry if you were getting there. No, no, when you're, fine. you're doing it electronically, like in an email blast or an online ad or or whatever whatever, how, how have you done that effectively so that that comes across? Frequent and consistent communication, adding personal details, writing like you would your family and friends. I mean, that's probably like those right there are probably just some major being consistent, being in, in frequent communication, no more than 21 days without being in touch with people. And then you need to understand that there's different lists. So there's different universes. There's an unknown universe. There's a known universe. You've got your leads, your buyers, and then you can break your buyers up into buyers, multi-buyers, and lost buyers if you really want to get like savvy on this. And so the unknown universe is like for this interview, there are people who are listening to it that you and I don't know, Henry. That's the unknown universe. There, there's a universe out there of people who are aware of our existence, but we don't know who they are. Then there's a known universe. They're like all my friends on social media. I think I'm around 20,000 followers on social media across all channels right now. And I know them, but if I make a post on Facebook, it's not going out to all my 5,000 friends. Mm -hmm. 
right? That I'm because I'm capped at that. Right. And I got some followers too. It's going out to a select few of them. So that's my known universe, but I can't really like do a whole. You know what I mean? Like I'm limited. I got handcuffs on. Right. But then there's my leads, people who said, hey, here's my phone number. Hey, here's my email address. Message me. Boom. I can message 30,000 people at once if I want, all at once, via text, via email, voice broadcast, whatever I want, right? And then – so that's your that's your known universe and then you've got your – or sorry, those are your leads. And then you've got your buyers and then you've got your multi-buyers and then your lost customers. And those three lists are your most important, the buyers, multi-buyers, and lost customers. Most people – don't even realize like ancient secrets of lead generation is just most people don't realize like every person you t- like most people are looking for a, a sale. They think a cu- you get a customer to make a sale, but you get a sale to make a customer. Like if people think a sale is a golden egg, a customer is the goose who lays them. And if you're not in a business that's built around like some sort of long to- long term support and relationship with your clients and customers, then it's just going to be more you can do it but it's just going to be more difficult. Yeah, I mean, that, so that's become a qualifier for you now, I'm assuming as you look at different business opportunities or growing your business. If you can't right. if you can't sell somebody something and then continue the relationship, then for you that's a that's a red flag on on the viability of that business. Is that fair? It's a one night it's a one night stand. Yeah. I mean, and, what, and what every if- day I have to regenerate those those sales, right? I can't continue to build on a relationship if I have a business where I don't have that advantage. Right. And I told you before we hit the record button on this, that this year, my birthday, it was the proudest birthday I've had just and I feel like the the fruits of what I've done for my family, my friends, for my personal health and my bit, like this has been the best birthday in terms like I didn't get I, don't, I didn't get any gifts. I think my mom cooks my roulade in, which is like, it's like roast beef with like pickle and it's like, it's just great. It's like a family. It's just delicious. There's no one I've ever known in my life that's eaten and been not been like, wow. And she made me some of that. Like that was the gift I got. And I had, but I had, we had like 20 people, 30 people in the house, you know, but it wasn't about the, like, what are you going to buy me? Like I could go buy it myself. Like really, what are you going to buy me? But I was just so proud. Like I'm there, I'm, I'm supporting my family. I got my three cousins living with me cause they need a place to stay. And man, we're doing them right. My uncle's sober now. And man, he looks better than I've seen him when I was 16. And you know, I got my dog and I got my family with me and I got friends calling and I got, you know, I got a girlfriend that made me like a 20 minute video of people wishing me happy birthday. And like, I'm in the best shape of my life. Like it was just a proud moment in that respect. And it's because of the relate. It seems to me it's because of the relationships that you have in your life. You can't do anything meaningful in one shot. That's really it. You can't do anything meaningful in one shot. I, I leased a car and that car, the windshield wiper thing doesn't work. The tires are bald and uh, insurance, some guy backed into me and insurance hasn't come to fix that yet. If the company that leased me the car had any sort of service care package, they could have upsold me all those services, all those things. I know I could take it back to them and like, you know, and I could pay them for the repairs for stuff, but I don't have a relationship with them. So the repairs I have had on the car, I've gone wherever was convenient, you know, but there's no relationship. They got, oh, bam, we got him on the lease. Ah, and I'm gone. And what, you know what I mean? And like, like it's so in that way, like for them, it's a loss. Like, yeah. great. You got the sale. Yeah, those are transaction businesses instead of developing relationships that lead to much greater opportunities. Right, right, exactly. So that's that's it a thousand percent. So exactly, if I can't have any meaningful impact, which takes time, takes long, like rich, like habits, rituals, routine, behavior modification, time, you know, um, awareness of goals, you can't do a whole lot. So even if you're installing pools, you, you got porches, decks, patio furniture, maintenance plans, you know, an annual inspection, you know, for safety training, you know, training. And you don't even have to provide all those. You can just be 
a refer like you can be a feeder of referrals and get a referral fee for those. But now you're not in a transaction based business. You're in like you're with them for the life of their pool. Do you know what I mean? Yep, like that's absolutely. you're you're their pool guy. Yeah. But, but a lot of people aren't. They're just very self centered, very like me, me, me. It's not about other people. For them, it's not about other people, and it should be. So that's so the purpose of business. All a business is, is a group of people solving a pain point or a problem for another group of people. That's all it is. Business is a group of people solving a problem with a product or service of another group of people. That's it. Yeah, I love that definition. <laughs> all right, let's Sorry. get a technical for a moment. I would like you sure. to introduce the formula that you talk about in the book and elsewhere, the T times C equals money formula. Introduce that sure. if you would. Well, so this I originally got from one of my mentors, Ken McCarthy, and he used to do T plus C, traffic plus conversion equals money. So his thing was traffic because every all advertising is always sol sold in thousand a thousand impressions, right? Right. And those are called like CPM, cost per mil, which is French for a thousand. So, and that's, we call those eyeballs. So that's traffic. So whether you're in a mall, whether you're in a strip of busy downtown, that's the traffic. You're on a busy street with a sign outside, you have traffic. That's the eyeballs that see whatever. And conversion is either your, your free offer, your coupon, it's your sales pitch. That's the conversion event. It's that, uh, Google, there's a great doc. If anyone wants to Google, this is called zero moment of truth. Google did a massive uh, I don't even know a massive study there we go on buying behavior of people online and everyone they look at the product they want more info on the product they look for reviews of people who have bought it to figure out what it's going to be like for them after they bought it and then they look at other other uh, at their other options and then there's a zero moment of truth when they decide and that's the process most people go through you know they want to know about you and more about your like more info, everything you got about you right I'm about to marry you give you my money uh, you know, and uh, and then what do other people have to say about having done business with you? Okay, I feel safe about this. What are my other options? Okay, I still feel good. Boom, zero moment of truth. You know, um, so traffic and I go T times C. That's my enhancement because it depends on what your conversion rate is. And so one of the for most people listening to this, I'm gonna highly recommend that they go to two step marketing. And two step marketing is where you do something to collect information. You I mentioned those different universes, the unknown, known. Like your business, you're in the business of building and nurturing lists, right? Because you've got all these, you've got the people that are kind of, you know, the freebies, the followers, the supporters, the people that are kind of on the fence about buying, the people who have bought. Like these are all different like tribes of people in your business. I actually have another book I'm working on, How to Double Your Business in 12 Months or Less. And it's called Tribal Marketing, How to Double Your Business in 12 Months or Less. And because these are each tribes and you need to speak to them differently because your their relationship with you is different. You might know all these people and you know want to blanket them and treat them as one, but each is a different group and therefore it's a different conversation and you should have a different you know, method with them. You have to almost think of it as an assembly line. How would you as a system take someone from being a stranger and make them a happy, healthy, returning customer and over and over? There's a great exercise by Tyler Garns. Uh, well, I don't know if it's his, but he's the one that told me about it, another mentor called The Power of One. It's if you only ever had one customer, how would you guarantee one that they bought, two that they came back, and three that they referred? Plan that out and make that standard protocol for every customer that you have. Make it a system, a process. Um, so T times C, traffic times conversion. So if you have a coupon, let's or let's say you have a, a diagnostic tool of some sort, you're going to do a free strategy session, or you know, let me give your car a checkup, or let me inspect your pool. It's totally free. You know, let me come give you a free quote. So traffic, how many people do you offer your free quote to, or your inspection to? Conversion, 
what's the percentage? On average, 10 people convert. Okay. okay. And, 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 and in that case, conversion is to take you, is converting on taking you up on the offer for the free inspection? Right. And okay. now it's all baby steps. It's all baby steps. So like if we're doing, talking advertising, so traffic, how many people show my ad to convert? How many people clicked on the ad? That's my conversion rate. When you do something often enough, patterns emerge. And uh, there's a great book, Scientific Advertising, by Claude Hopkins, and in it he's got a great quote, let the thousands tell you what the millions will do. So if you get 5,000, 10,000, 30,000, 50,000, 100,000 impressions on an ad, remember they're sold in batches of 1,000, you get those thousands of impressions, you can fairly accurately predict what millions of those people, those same demographic or psychographic group of people will do. So, you know, that's where you get your traffic times conversion. So, all right, for every thousand people I show my coupon to or my offer, my, you know, the, my ad to, how many people click? Boom, that's my conversion rate. That's why I said time C because then I would take the next step. So that C now becomes the T. So they clicked, they went to my website. Great. Now I've got the offer for the free quote or to take my diagnostic survey or, you know what I mean, or to try do a free trial or whatever, take a sample, right? And that's my trap. So I've got a new traffic times how many people convert at that step. And that's my new traffic. And then how many people convert at my core offer, right? The core thing I'm selling. And then that's my new traffic. And how many of those people come back and buy more? How many of those people refer their friends? It's, I almost treat it like, an, like if it was an assembly line. But you got traffic times C equals new T times C equals new T times C equals from the process from first meeting them through to referring their friends. Yeah. yeah, from first getting their attention to referring their friends. Yeah. Okay, I get that. I want to come back to the two-step marketing, and I want you to define that a little bit further. Uh, yeah, you've touched on it here, but I want to make sure we're clear on what you're talking about there. Well, two-step is the best part because two-step means you give away something for free in exchange for that person's contact info. Okay, so like a, like online, we would call that often a lead magnet, something I'm giving you for free, yeah. but in exchange, you're going to give me your contact info. Right, a lead magnet, a lead widget, a freebie. You, I, I'm one of the best things to tell, and I keep using the word coupon, is just think of coupon-based marketing. That's the best thing, like coupon. What do you get with this coupon? You get a free report. You get a free checklist. You get a free diagnostic. You get a free strategy session. You get a free, right, like it's a coupon. You get right. you get this free extra thing when you buy blank. Great. But if it's a coupon, it's a specific offer, and you can count how many of these coupons did we syndicate, how many were redeemed, and how much did it cost and how much did we make? And if the number's positive, then either do it again or file that promotion away to pull out again at an appropriate time. And ideally, what you want to do is create a nice little portfolio of these beautiful little campaigns that you roll out, these coupons that you promote at either select times of the year or every whatever, three weeks, every three months, every right, every once a year, every three years, whatever that is. But you want to have a nice little portfolio of those that you just release because now it, things become really predictable. Hey, I got this coupon, and for every thousand people, I get one sale. Yeah, when when you uh, say coupon, you're talking about a promo, a campaign, right. something Correct. where you've over time tested and fine-tuned the copy, the offer, all of it, right. and you know this one works really well. And you keep fine-tuning it, but this one works really well, and I pull that out every spring. And maybe I do some A-B testing to get it better, but I develop a, a library of these campaigns that I know I can go to. Correct. And then you become, you, you become like you know, paid advertising is one of the most, two most powerful ways to grow a business are endorsements or joint ventures or alliances or strategic partnerships, however you want to call it. The, the, the problem with those though is 
there's there can be people problems, you know, in terms of there's often profit sharing involved. Sometimes getting paid properly or not, you know, the accounting and yada yada yada, or someone's you know feelings are hurt or you didn't promote their thing and they're hurt. The other thing is that how many times, Henry, could you promote me and my one offer to your audience before you've got to go on to something else? Right. You know, like so that's the other part. So you can't build a business on it. But man, if you can get some people and they got like following of like John, like you know, when we left, 300,000 Facebook fans. He wants to put your offer out there, and he helps to make sure that it's going to be appealing to them. I mean, you know, Oprah puts her on, puts you on her show. He's called the Oprah effect because it would kill businesses. Yeah. She, Oprah would mention a product on her show, and people think that that would be like their holy grail. No, it's not because you get bombarded with people buying your product, calling your place, and they start leaving nasty reviews because they're upset that they can't get any service. And you know, and 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 you're just bombarded like you're like drowning. But they they don't they don't care. They're not they don't care. They're not sympathetic. There's no empathy. They want what they want, and the phone's not answered. And I've left five messages, and they haven't called me back. And like they're mad, you know, or they bought the product and they had an issue, but no one was there to help them. And so it can be a nightmare. But then paid traffic is the other one because it's literally like flipping a switch. It's simple, but not easy. It's simple because if you get a promotion that works, I mean, that's the biggest separator between a small business and a nationwide business is if nationwide business can advertise to get customers. Two-step marketing is the process of giving something away to get someone's permission to build a relationship with them, to email them every week, to give them a phone call every once in a while and check on what, to come by the house and read the meter on their house, or to come by the house and inspect the pool, you know, to take their car into the garage and just give it a, you know, change your oil and then do, you know, run it through the diagnostic and the checklist to make sure you don't have any issues. I mean, I would love that. I just take my car to Walmart and let them change my oil, but I've already said this to a bunch of people trying to inspire them to do something because I'm like, I would love it if there was like a quarterly or monthly you know, some dude comes to my house and does some stuff to my car because I'm not a car guy. I, li- I like getting in. I like pushing the button. I like going places. But you open up the hood. I want to I wanna just for my masculinity be like, yeah, all right, <laughs> but I have, I'm like, I don't know. I even got into Chilton when I had my earliest cars and I would make the repairs myself when I was like 17, 18, 19, 20. I've forgotten all that. Now, I'm like, I don't know. I get in. I go. That's all I know. You know, I would love for someone to do that. And so um, anyways. Yeah. So two-step marketing is that. And the other thing it does is it can make it easier when you're getting started because you have more than one shot to sell the person. You know, right. if they don't buy right away, you, you do need to try to sell. I mean, you're in business. You know, sure. If you take- can close it there, you close it. But we know that most people need multiple touch points before they're ready to buy. Right. Yeah. It doesn't take a whole day to recognize sunshine. So if you got a great offer, put it in front of people. But, you know, it just helps if you get their info first. Get their info first. And, you know, a really good tip is to diagnose something. You know, let like you know, with a prescription without diagnose, diagnostic is malpractice. Prescription without diagnosis is malpractice. So if someone comes to your business and you're just trying to shove stuff on them, they're already like, this guy just wants to sell stuff. He doesn't care about me. If you ask a few questions to diagnose and make sure it's a good fit and then recommend it, your your conversions are going to go way up because now they're like, okay, this is more appropriate for me and I know why, and they know why, and they obviously don't want to just sell me something just to take my money. Yeah. So that's a huge tool. Yeah. And then you use methods to scale that. So paid advertising is a way to scale that. Things like sales pages, webinars, teleseminars, video sales letters. Those are ways that you can scale the sales process. Speaking on a stage, a teleconference. These are all ways that you can sell one to many because most people get stuck in one-on-one sales scenarios where if they're not in front of their prospect talking and, and trying to sell, they don't, you know, they can't. But how many people if you have to do one-on-one face-to-face 
Like that was an issue. That was a frustration I had at my martial arts school. That slowed my growth is because we were doing sales one-on-one. People come in for a consultation because they didn't, we didn't want to just throw them into a group class because it was west of the group dynamics. And we have no idea what this person's ability, you know, and we don't want to embarrass them and chat over, right? Because we had different level experience sure. classes. Right. Yeah. And I understand so those were the constraints that you had to move on and overcome as an entrepreneur that you are. All right. Right. Daryl, let's start to move in a different direction here. We'll, we'll start to wrap it up. I'd like to ask you a sure. couple more personal questions. What do you love most about what you do today? Um, I like the, <laughs> I like the, the impact it has. I love, te- I love testimonials. I really loved, I love helping people. I mean, I love helping. I, I'm never going to have to worry about money because I'm so focused on helping others. I just, it's, someone will always be there to help me. Yeah, you're, you're uh, focused on creating value for others. But I, it seems to me like at heart, one of the things you are is a teacher. Yeah, I've, ever since I was a kid, I've always, like even when I babysat, like I babysat as a kid, all that. I've always been in the role of having to guide others. It's just, I don't know why, it was just, just has been. I don't, I don't people want to say naturally gifted, but science has found that that's not true. People have natural inclinations, but you're never really gifted in anything. You just get more hours sooner because you're interested in it. That's all. It's all about hours invested. And you know how many hours it takes to get the basics of anything down? People know the rule, 10,000 hour rule to be world class, but it only takes 20 hours to master the fundamentals of almost every skill. 20 hours. That's it. You could no longer be a beginner and be in the ranks of intermediate with 20 focused hours of practice. Mm. Any skill. So that's why people are like, oh, he's just naturally gifted. No, he got 20 hours really quickly. That was it. He's interested in it. He got his 20 hours. You did four because he didn't like it. That's why. So, um, okay, good. Yeah. That very, very focused, very focused 20 hours at that. All right, right. We've touched on it, but give me the brief elevator pitch on the services that you offer your clients now through best business coach. So I help businesses with websites, get customers and keep them forever, forever being dependent on the type of business. Uh, my goal is to help right now. My mission is to help create 200 new multimillionaire business owners. How? You'll do better when you know better. So we have a program called Best Business Workouts. We're actually in beta right now. I asked for 12 volunteers. I got 15. Putting them through the paces. This is going to turn into a subscription program that will be available probably end of the summer. And then I'm going to have – so the right now what I offer is the group coaching program. And then I've got private one-on-one coaching with me, which is a fat monthly retainer plus percent equity in the business. These are companies that I want to have an active role in, be on the board of directors of, and I think have a uh, large capacity for growth and also vast impact on the future and like the world my kids are going to live in. And that's kind of the model right now. It's I've got ebooks, I got books, I got small little info products. Uh, this coaching program is creating the curriculum that's going to be a subscription program that's going to be at least a year long, and that'll be for the lower price point people who don't want to spend over $100. And then I've got a couple business coaching groups I put together that are higher priced than that. And then out of those groups with people that I know, like, and trust and feel good about their business model, I'll partner with them, take a retainer and a percent of the company. And uh, that's essentially what I do. And right now, I, what I love is the diversity of it, the different ways I have an impact on the world. And the freedom and time and finances that it has me, I love the money I make and I love the freedom that I have. And uh, I love being able to do, to have those things and make an impact on the world. So, Okay. Hey, Darrell, we've talked about your books. Is there another book besides your own that comes to mind that you would recommend to us? Uh, well, there's a couple. I mentioned the Zero Moment of Truth. That's an ebook. You can just Google it, get it. I would also highly recommend Scientific Advertising by Claude Hopkins. 
Um, I would also, depending on what issues you have, I mean, Think and Grow Rich is a classic. Those 13 principles is really powerful. If you read that book, you don't even need to, whole, need to read the whole book. Just read the table of contents and then just read up on each chapter. And then, you know, I've never really ever mentioned this book before, but I think for some people, they, they need it. It's Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. And it's essentially awareness and willpower with your habits and rituals compounded over time equals your results. I mean, that's the whole book in a nutshell, but it's a good book to read. It talks about having an accountability partner in that. Depending on where you're at, that'd probably be really helpful for a lot of people. Um, your awareness of what's going on or your problems and issues, your willpower to stick to the path you should be on, and then your habits and rituals and routines around those and maintaining those comp compounded over time equals your results. And that's, I think, important to know. Okay. Um, Great recommendations there. Those are good. Sure. I will have uh, links to all of those as well as to your books on the show notes page Perfect. for this episode at thehowofbusiness.com. And so we'll wrap it up with these two last questions. One is any last parting piece of advice or thought or anything I didn't ask you about that you'd like to share? I think it's important that people respect the fact that it's about the journey, not the destination, that as soon as you fulfill a desire, it will be replaced with a new one. And that's never ending. No one's found a solution to that ever in the history of humanity. I mean, that's why people want to attain enlightenment, but even those enlightened then want to spread enlightenment. So they've achieved one desire, it's replaced with another. So just to understand that it's a process thing. And I really think, I've been harping on this a lot, I really think one of the most valuable things people can do is get to a day-to-day -day routine that they could just live forever. People ask me, what did you do on your birthday? And I said, I did pretty much what I do every other day, but I made more time to connect with other people. Like I just, I've, that's why I feel I really love my life. Like, you know, I do, I do a little bit of everything I, every day. Like every day is kind of a weekend, but every day is also a work day. I don't really take days off. I do some days, but I don't know. I, my definition of day off may not match somebody else's. This is, I love this quote. This is a great way to say it. The master in the art of living makes little distinction between their work and their play, mm -hmm. their labor and their leisure, their mind and their body, their information and their recreation, their love and their religion. They hardly know which is which. They simply pursue their vision of excellence at whatever they do, leaving others to decide whether they are working or playing. To them, they are always doing both. And I think that's a really important way to look at your business. You said at the beginning that some of your audience are small business owners who wear all the hats. Stop wearing all the hats. Get a part-time employee. Pay them a bit of money. Take a couple more customers on. There's only so many hours in a day. And if you don't have, one's the worst number in business. So if you're the one that does everything, when you look up entrepreneur in the dictionary, it says the person who organizes a business or businesses. It doesn't say the person who answers the phone, mops the floor, cleans the toilet, collects the cash, delivers the, pro delivers the product, cleans the toilet, like does the accounting. It doesn't say that. You, you can't get rich on your own. Business is a team sport. So start building teams around. Get excellent at building teams and delegating. You have to get excellent at that. Absolutely. That's a really important thing. You'll always have to work, but that will help you get more done and it'll give you some buffer, you know, as opposed to constantly being on the wire. If anyone feels like they're on the wire and they're doing everything themselves, right. start partnering with other people. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Couldn't, couldn't agree with you more. All right. Where would you like uh, us to go online to find out more about you and about your business? Well, I mean, you can just Google my name, D-A-R-Y-L, last name Urbanski, Urbanski, U-R-B-A-N-S-K-I. I'm on all the social media channels. My website will come up to you. You can check out the Best Business Podcast with Daryl Urbanski, or you can just go to bestbusinesscoach.ca. It's an online world now, so really just put my name in somewhere. Connect. 
follow, reach out, send me an email. Uh, I do respond. It just depends. I've got some months where I just I get hundreds of emails a day and I can't, and I get others where I, I can chat. So it just depends. Just reach out, you know. I've, and I really do live by the philosophy that your success is my success. So anything I put out, uh, we'll have that in mind. And if that's never not your experience, just let me or someone on my team know, and we'll do our best to fix that. That's wonderful. Daryl, this has been a fascinating conversation. Thanks for taking the time to be with us today and uh, sharing your knowledge and experiences. Thank you, Henry. I appreciate you. This is Henry Lopez, and you've been listening to another episode of The How of Business. If you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, we would welcome and thank you for subscribing to our show. We look forward to having you join us on the next episode of The How of Business. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.